the songwriter Paul Anka stayed up all night one night in order to write a song, a song that became very popular and in one sense became an anthem for the me generation of the 70s and 80s. It's actually my generation, a generation that sociologists now look back on and call the narcissistic generation. Frank Sinatra made that song famous in 1969 when he recorded it under the title of My Way. You know the song. It starts like this. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way, right? Yeah. I did it my way. You know, in reality, that repeated refrain of that song isn't just an anthem for a couple of American generations. In reality, we could say it's the anthem of every generation of the human race from the very beginning. We see this played out in the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve. He told them his way. And Eve decided that she would eat the fruit and do it her way. And Adam, her husband, decided that he too would eat the fruit and do it his way. This self-centered, self-absorbed way of living is really just a hallmark of fallen humanity. Adam and Eve's son, Cain, decided that he would offer up a sacrifice, not God's way, but he would offer up a sacrifice to God his way. And he was cursed by God as a result. Remember Pharaoh? God sent Moses to Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh what to do, how to respond God's way. Pharaoh decided he would do it his way. Ten plagues later, his kingdom was destroyed. His people were decimated. His own family was bereaved of his firstborn son. Even God's own people are not immune to this fruit of the fall, to live our own way rather than God's way. King David in the Old Testament is described as a man after God's own heart. And yet in a time of prosperity and blessing, he decided for selfish reasons to follow his own way, and to number the people that were in Israel rather than listening to God and doing it God's way. And the result was severe discipline upon him. Peter was the foremost apostle of the Lord Jesus. Jesus told the apostles what was going to happen when he got to Jerusalem. Peter, upon hearing it, said, Not so, Lord. Never. Not your way. My way. When they got to the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers came to do exactly what Jesus had said was going to happen according to God's will. Remember what Peter did? He took out his sword and he tried to decapitate decapitate the servant of the high priest. Had a better idea. Just seemed right at the time. Seemed like... A good way to go. It was Peter's way. 
It wasn't God's way. Well, this is always the temptation that we face. That is, to choose our own way rather than the way of our Creator. Sin has hardwired us to think and act like this. We think that we can do it. We think that we can orchestrate things in such a way that will bring about the outcome that we desire. And as a result, when things do turn out well, when we do enjoy the fruits of our labors, we can easily believe that the outcome is all because of our own ingenuity. That we have done this. We quickly forget that God is the one who gives us the power to work hard to obtain success, as Deuteronomy 8.18 says. And therefore, when we attain success, it just doesn't seem abnormal to us to brag about it without any reference to God. Well, this is what sin has done to all of us. It's given each one of us this sense that we know better than God. So when things go well in our lives, it's all because of our own efforts, we think. It's the deserved fruit of our own labor. This is why God's good news of his way of saving sinners is so challenging for us to believe. Because God saves sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's an amazing truth. It is so amazing that people find it difficult to believe and some people find it even impossible to believe. And even those who genuinely do believe it have difficulty remembering it day after day, hour after hour, for the rest of our lives. Yet the Apostle Paul is determined to help us to see and remember this glorious truth as he explains it for us in the book of Romans. We've been studying Romans now for some time. Let me remind you that the theme of this letter is the grace of God in the gospel. And as we've seen in our most recent studies of chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, Paul goes to great lengths to explain what God has done in order to reconcile sinners like you and me to himself. He gave up his only begotten son, And put him forward to be a propitiation by his blood. That is, to set Jesus up in our place. So that when Jesus took on our sins and represented us before God. God's wrath that we deserve was poured out on Jesus. And then, having sent him into the cross, to the cross to die in the place of sinners. Jesus there, on the cross absorbed the full blast of God's wrath and anger due to our sin. He did this so that sinners, people like you and me, might be forgiven. That we might be declared righteous. That we might be acquitted in his courtroom. In other words, he did it so that we might be justified. We can be free. We can stand before him completely accepted. Well, how do people like you and me get in on what Jesus has once and for all time accomplished? 
How does what he did 2,000 years ago get connected to us today? By doing something? By going to church? By reading the Bible? By turning over a new leaf? No. By faith. By trusting Jesus. That's what Paul has been at pains to make clear in the verses we've looked at the last two weeks in Romans chapter 3. We've seen this in verses 24 and 25 of Romans 3 when he says, We are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Not by doing, not by promising, by trusting, taking God at his word, believing what he says about Jesus, and bowing yourself to Jesus as Lord. Well, today, as we continue to work our way through the book of Romans, we come to verses 27 through 31, the very end of chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. Here Paul begins to draw out some of the necessary implications of this doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And what we're going to see this morning in this particular passage is that God's way of salvation leaves us no room to boast about our own efforts. No room for boasting. So get a copy of the scriptures in front of you and look at Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 41. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you'll see this on page 941, the very end of Romans chapter 3. Follow along. I'm going to read it out loud. And then we're just going to look at these verses and pray that God will help us to understand what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here so that we might live as we ought to live. Trusting Christ, being justified by His grace. So hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. In this section, we see Paul making use of six rhetorical questions in order to teach us That justification by faith removes all reasons for boasting. To understand and believe what the scripture teaches us about how to be right with God. And then to enter into that right relationship the way the scripture tells us to. Removes every ground that you could possibly try to find and stand on. And point to yourself. And say look what I did. We have an all-God gospel. 
He accomplished it by the work of his son. He applies our salvation through the ministry of his spirit. So what are we to do? We are to receive this blessing as a gift. And because that is true, no Christian can ever rightly think that he has been accepted by God because of anything that he has done. When it comes to salvation, Christians have no bragging rights before God. We have nothing to which we can lay claim as contributing to our salvation. Listen to the way the 19th century English Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, God has ordained that the only way in which he will save men shall be a way which utterly excludes the possibility of a man's having a single word to say by way of bragging. He has declared that the only foundation which he will ever lay shall be one by which man's strength shall be broken in pieces and by which man's pride shall be humbled in the dust. Well, let's look at the way that the Apostle Paul makes his case about no ground for boasting through being justified by faith. I want to call to your attention three specific reasons that he tells us justification by faith provides no ground for boasting. The first we see in verses 27 and 28, it's because to be justified by faith means God has done it all. God's done everything. Now, to look at these two verses, we need to make a a little note here of how Paul uses the word law. He uses the word law in two different ways in these verses. One way is the common way that we've seen thus far in the letter, and the other way is law not as a moral code, but law as a principle, law as a system. So when he says it's excluded by what kind of law, the law of works, no, but by the law of faith, law there means principle or system. You know, we, we use it like this too. We talk about the laws of physics, We talk about the law of gravity. We're not talking about something that's been legislated, some kind of moral code. We're just talking about the way things are. You you can talk about gravity and pretend it doesn't exist, but jump off a building and you'll be convinced, right? It's just the way things are. And that's what Paul here is talking about as well. He says that boasting is excluded because Christians are not saved by a principle of works, but by a principle of of faith. The way faith works, the way faith operates, removes all grounds from boasting. That's his point. But he uses the word law in the typical way as well in this passage as the moral code that God himself has revealed, specifically that God revealed throughout the Old Testament. This is his regular way of using the word. We've seen this already repeatedly in the few chapters we've looked at in Romans. For example, just let your eyes go to verses 19 and 20 of chapter 3 because as he sums up his argument about how sin is pervasive and universal, we're all sinners and therefore all by nature under God's wrath against sin, he says, now we know in verse 19 that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. This is what Paul means by law in verse 28. For we hold, he says, 
that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's been his whole argument so far. Nothing we can do in trying to keep the moral code that God has revealed, the legislation that he has made known to us that we are obligated to keep. We can't come to a right standing with him by doing anything. Justification comes to sinners not by our doing. It comes through faith. When Luther, Martin Luther, who discovered this truth in the 16th century in Europe, came to see this, it transformed his life. And as he taught it, it began to transform the the whole Western civilization. And we're the recipients of so many blessings that have come from that. But as Luther was exiled for a period, he took it upon himself to translate the Greek New Testament and the Hebrew of the Old Testament into common German. And when he came to this passage, here's what he did in verse 28. He added the word alone so that the German translation of Luther reads like this. For we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law. He wasn't wrong in doing that. Because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. It's not faith plus It is faith instead of everything else. It is faith alone. The only way that anybody who has sinned against God can ever be justified by God is through providing God the perfect righteousness that God requires. In addition, he must provide the full payment for every unrighteousness that he has committed against him. Well, who can do that? Can you? I, I can't. Nobody you know can. There's nobody who can do that. There's only one person in the whole world who's ever done that. And that's Jesus Christ. And he did it in exactly the way the Apostle Paul has explained in the verses leading up to our text. He did it by coming into the world as the eternal Son of God, taking on human flesh And then doing everything that God requires. Perfect obedience to his commandments. And then without any sin of his own to die for. Standing up in the place of sinners. Going to the cross and enduring God's wrath against our sin on the cross. Jesus has accomplished what God requires. Well, how do we get in on what Jesus accomplished? How do we come to benefit from his life and death? How does his righteousness and his atonement get credited to us? It gets credited to us by faith apart from works of law. By believing, not by doing. This removes all ground for our boasting, Paul says, because what it means is That the only way that God accepts us is on the basis of what somebody else has done for us, not on the basis of what we do for ourselves. You see what this does? It makes us acknowledge that it's not what we bring to the table. It's what God has provided for us in His Son. Faith means trusting someone or something else Other than yourself. Now, you're sitting in a chair, right? 
you're trusting that chair. You're counting on that chair keeping you from crumpling to the ground. Now, who here would say, look at me, look how strong my leg muscles are, look at what I'm doing to keep, my, keep myself from crumbling to the ground? You wouldn't say that. Why? Because your faith is not in your ability to maintain this posture by yourself on your own. Your faith is in the chair that is holding you up. And so if you're going to try to find bragging rights about the posture that you're in, they go to the chair, right? They don't, they don't go to you. You're not doing it. That's the way it is in justification. We aren't trusting ourselves. We trust the Lord. R.C. Sproul explains it this way. If our justification was even in part based upon good works, we would have something to boast about. It's the concept of justification by faith alone that crushes the voice of human arrogance and human pride. The only way anybody is ever accepted by God is by trusting Jesus and all that he has done and having no confidence in yourself. So brothers and sisters, we should, recognizing this glorious truth, never look down on any unbeliever. We can't look down our nose at anybody and say, you know, if you're just as smart as I am, if you just do what I've done, then you'd have what I have. No. We look at them and we say, the only difference between them and me is God's grace. If God would grant that grace to them to quit trusting themselves and trust Jesus, then they would come to know what it is to be accepted by their creator too. Because this salvation, this justification before God, is holy by grace. Paul says this plainly in Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast. Well, this gives great encouragement to anybody. To Everybody to believe that God will save them. The fact that Jesus has done once and for all time everything necessary for people like you and me to be reconciled to him and that he provides that to anyone and everyone who will trust Jesus, man, that's great news. That means you, you don't have to become something first. You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to pretend or, or get a new course and then say, okay, maybe God will accept me now. No, what do you do? You, you trust Jesus. You believe what God has said to you about Jesus. The Apostle Paul shows that the, the ground of our salvation being Jesus Christ provided by grace that we receive through faith, that faith actually secures the reality that there's no ground to boast in our salvation, that it secures God's promise of salvation by grace. He says this pointedly in the next chapter. If you look at chapter 4, verse 16, after further explanation of this point, he says, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. See, faith keeps you from trusting yourself. Saving faith means you renounce yourself in all your efforts to make yourself right with God. 
and you put all of your eggs in that basket that he's provided in Jesus Christ. So, I know there are people here this morning that have never been reconciled to God, and I want you to know we're delighted you're here. We don't think it's an accident that you're here. I just want to ask you, what keeps you from trusting Christ? Why not trust Him now? I mean, why not take God at His word and recognize this is incredible news. I can be forgiven. I can be justified. And I don't have to do anything. That's the truth. Turn from your sin. Quit trusting yourself. And trust Jesus Christ. Simply say to God, I believe you. I believe you. I receive Christ. I bow to Christ. God justifies sinners by grace through faith. So we would love nothing more than to see you come to know what God has revealed to us, to taste what we've come to taste about God's goodness and His love, His mercy. And if you have questions about this or you want somebody to pray with you about this, then seek me out or seek any of the members of this church out after the service. We'll be happy to spend time with you and to explain this further to you. To be justified by faith means that God has done it all. The second point in this text I want to call to your attention is that justification by faith removes all reason for boasting because God justifies sinners without any respect to who they are or what they have done. This is verses 29 and first part of verse 30. He says, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He appeals to the uniqueness and the oneness of God to make his case. There's only one God. The Jews would have recognized this as coming from the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Gentiles may have heard about it from their Jewish friends and as they had met together and studied in this church over many years at this point. Now, you'll, you may not remember, but in the beginning of this study, I made the point of what was going on in the the culture in the, the nation of Rome at this time. In AD 49, Claudius, the emperor, expelled the Jews from Rome. Told them they couldn't live there anymore. The church at Rome was started by Jews. Jews that had been converted at Pentecost and then went back to Rome. And so it was a primarily Jewish church from all that we can tell. But Gentiles became Christians too and joined that church. So you had a church of Jews and Gentiles, and now the emperor says all the Jews have to leave. You can read, I think it's in Acts 18, where Paul meets up with a couple of members of this church, Aquila and Priscilla, who had been exiled from Rome during this time under Claudius's edict. So the church then is immediately bereft of some of its most mature believers, Undoubtedly, some of its leaders, and they are left to carry on without them. And so this continues for five years until Claudius dies, and Jews begin to return to Rome, and undoubtedly to the church at Rome. Can you imagine the challenges that presents? 
this man was a, an elder. When he left, he comes back. Is he to be reinstated as an elder immediately? These people were key servants and deacons. Are they to be recognized as those deacons again immediately when they come back? And look at the changes the church has gone through. Should we change back to the way it had been five years ago? Well, there would have been potential for a lot of dissension in that church at Rome. So, Paul, mindful of that, wanting to make sure that there's no division along racial, ethnic lines, reminds them. The God who ruled over and called out the Jews is the same God who rules over and is now calling out Gentiles. And the only way anybody gets in on the grace and mercy of this God is by the faith that comes in Jesus Christ that justifies. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter how religious you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done or not done. You all stand before the same God, Jews and Gentiles alike. What a vitally important truth for a church to know and to remember. It doesn't matter what kind of life you've lived. It doesn't matter what privileges or disadvantages you have had. It doesn't matter your race or your ethnicity. Brothers and sisters, we all have the same God. We all relate to the same God in the same way. We're creatures made in His image. Through faith in Jesus, we're all redeemed by His grace. So there's not a different set of standards or provisions or benefits or requirements or blessings for any of us. God is one. And through Jesus Christ, he is the God and Father of us all. Paul makes that point, the unity, the oneness of God. He goes on to say there's only one way for anyone to be justified by the one true God. This is verse 30 at the end of it. He will justify circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, Jews and Gentiles. Again, he's underscoring the significance of our unity before God while reminding us that there's only one way that anybody gets into a right relationship with him, and that is through faith. This is a good reminder for believers that the only reason we are in right relationship with God is because of his grace to us in Christ. And that's true of every Christian. Every Christian. We all have our unique personalities, our unique stations in life, our unique opportunities and challenges that we face. But what we have in Christ trumps all of that. What we have in Christ is so much more important that we must continually remind ourselves that yes, we are one because there's one God that we all have, who saves in one way through his son, the Lord Jesus. You know, if a, if a rich man and a poor man, an educated man and uneducated man, an old man and a young man, were suddenly thrown overboard in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico with, with no hope of being rescued, and the Coast Guard comes along and tosses a life preserver out there, is, is there any advantage that the rich man has to the poor man? The educated, the uneducated, the old, the young? No. No. It, it's just 
receive that life preserver. Grab it. Hold on to it. And you'll be rescued. You'll be saved. That's the way it is before God. We don't look at each other with all of our unique features that are distinct and we can praise God for them. But we don't look at those things as making one better than the other or one more justified than the other before God. No. No. We have one God who justifies sinners in one way. We have one Savior. And so in Christ, we are one people. We're the people of God. Again, I just want to encourage you who are not reconciled to God to to know, see, think about the implications. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter your regrets of life or your successes in life. It doesn't matter. The one God who created you has given up His one Son who came into the world to redeem sinners like you. If you'll turn from your sin and trust Him, regardless of who you are, who you've been, what you've done, what you've not done, you will come to know what it means to be justified before your God. I would plead with you to do that. Why in the world would you not trust Jesus and have Him as your Lord and Savior today and walk out of this building knowing that God now, because of Jesus, is your Father and you're His child. The Scripture teaches that this is how God saves And what we need more than anything is to believe what God says, to take him at his word. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember this. We need to recognize just how good news, how good this good news is. And we need to take it. And we need to to tell it to others. There are people separated from God that have all kind of wrong ideas about what it means to get right with God. And many of them have it on their to-do list. One day, one day. And what they need to hear is that no, God has provided salvation today. Today. And you don't have to wait till you get your slate clean. You don't have to wait until you do these ten things. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's the good news. We know it. And we've got to remember it. And we should joyfully, hopefully, lovingly, Tell this good news to other people. Well, to be justified by faith means that God has done it all. And God justifies sinners without any respect to who they are or to what they have done. And then Paul wraps this up in verse 31 by making the point that this way of justification is lawful. It's lawful. Paul's not throwing the law overboard here. He says in verse 31, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The doctrine of justification by faith does not nullify God's law. God's law is not, in Paul's language, overthrown. This is one of his favorite words. He uses this word overthrow in different forms at least 25 times in his letters. It's only found two other times in the whole New Testament. So this is a particularly 
Pauline word. It means to render inactive or invalid, to abrogate, to abolish. So the question that he's addressing is this. Does faith cause God's law to lose its importance or its force? That's the question. Do you notice the answer? By no means. Now, that sounds a little strong to us. But this is the strongest language Paul uses in the New Testament. It's like you can hear him just slamming his hand down on the table. Saying, are you out of your mind? No way. Don't let that thought enter into your thinking process. Paul anticipates a common objection to a right understanding of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In fact, if this question has not entered your mind, you probably haven't thought deeply enough about what it really means to be justified by grace through faith. And here's the way the reasoning goes, understandably. So if we're justified by grace apart from the law, and I've been you know, trying to keep the law, trying to do what I think God wants me to do so that he will accept me, and you're telling me, no, it's by grace, believing, not doing, okay, then the law, forget the law. The law didn't have anything to say to me. I don't have to regard the law anymore. I got Christ. I'm living by grace. This grace is is wonderful, right? Hey, if it's all grace, then, you know, if if I want to sin next week, I mean, God will forgive that, right? Grace? Isn't that the way grace works? Paul understands the deadly wrong implication that can be drawn from this teaching, this glorious teaching that we are justified by grace through faith plus nothing. And so... He raises the question, he knocks it in the head. (laughs) He's going to deal with it more in chapter 6. He's going to elaborate and and draw out to undeniable conclusions the wrongness of this way of thinking. But here, he specifically wants to just set a marker up so that when our minds start going there, we'll we'll hear Paul say, no way, absolutely not. Why? Why? Because Paul knows that the person who thinks that way, hey, salvation is by grace. I trust Jesus. He's my Lord. God's gracious to me. So I don't have to live any certain way. I can live however I want to. I can sin. You guys are so strict. You're so conservative. You're so fundamentalist. You do all these things. You think, you you know, you just do these things. Hey, I I have grace. I know what grace is. So I'm just going to live by grace. Live like the world, but I'm trusting grace. Paul knows that a person who thinks like that is going straight to hell. Going straight to hell. How does he know that? Because that's exactly what Jesus taught. And perhaps the most sobering words of all the Bible, certainly the most sobering that Jesus ever spoke, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus gives us a glimpse into the day of judgment. When people will come to him and he separates them from those who are justified by God's grace and those who are not justified. And listen to what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. God's way, not their own way. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? Then Jesus utters those haunting words. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. What's he saying? You didn't do enough good stuff for me to accept you. No. No. He's saying that the fruit of your life will reflect the roots of your life. And if you're grounded in being justified by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then your life will result and manifest the fruit of godliness. Not perfect. Not perfect. But intentional. You will not live a lawless life. You'll live a life that seeks to honor and please God. The God who revealed the way to honor and please him by giving us his law. The God who gave us the gospel to save us is the same God who gave us the law to rule us. And God loves his law as much as he loves his gospel. God's law was never given as a way to make sinners right with God. It is not a ladder by which we climb up into a right standing with God. You can never be justified before God by using the law in this way and trying to keep his commandments. Why? Because all of your efforts fall short. You can't be obedient enough. You fail. We all fail. And so if you treat the law that way, then you are on a spiritual dead end. That's what Paul's been arguing in this letter. It's by grace. There there is a law keeper, but it's not you. It's not me. It's the Lord Jesus. We can only be justified by trusting him. This fact that justification comes only through faith in no way abolishes God's law. Again, Paul's going to deal with this in later chapters. But the point he's making now is the gospel doesn't overthrow the law. And then at the end of that verse 31, he makes a positive summary, a statement that he will elaborate in in 6 and 7 of this letter, chapter 6 and 7 later. And it's this, the doctrine of justification by faith, not only does it not overthrow the law, it upholds the law. It keeps the law in its proper place, which is not to function as a way of salvation for sinners. It was never given for that reason. but Rather, it was given to function as an instrument to show us our duty, what God requires, and to show us our sin in failing to live up and meet that duty. Justification by grace through faith magnifies God's law. How? By showing us that it is so high Revealing such a holy standard of righteousness that no sinner can ever attain it. If you think that you have lived good enough for God, then you don't understand His grace and you don't understand the law. It also, justification also teaches us the greatness of God's law by showing us 
that Jesus Christ is the only man who's ever lived up to God's law. He's unique. The only one who's done it. And God requires all of us to do it. So if we're going to be acceptable to God, we're going to need to get in on what the one righteous man has done. And the way we get in on that is by trusting Him. Bowing to Him. Believing Him as Lord. This teaching, justification by faith alone, gives life and joy and freedom and confidence before God. When you trust Jesus savingly, you can be assured your sins are forgiven. You can be assured that the righteousness He requires has been once and for all time credited to your accounts. Your righteousness is in heaven. So on your bad days, when you see yourself in sin and you look back and you think, why was I so foolish? Why have I stumbled again? You can repent of that, get up, look to Jesus Christ and remember, that's your righteousness, not here. God accepts you for His sake, not your sake. And you're free. You're free. This is the most liberating truth in all the world. To know that you've been accepted by God. What can anybody do to you? What can anybody say to you or about you that will cause you to, to have to crumble or, or retool your life? You're in Christ. He's your Lord. He's your salvation. God accepts you for His sake. Oh, to know this, brothers and sisters, to be reminded of this, to live in the light of this, it doesn't make us want to run off and sin against God. It makes us want to live for God. You, you'll ask yourself, what should I do? You'll pray and say, God, how can I honor you? How can I show my love for you? Teach me how I should live. And you'll hear Jesus saying back to you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I love you, Lord. Show me your way. Show me your commandments. And you'll start trying to live according to what God has revealed. Not your own way. You'll agree with the Apostle John as he writes in 1 John 2, 3. This is how we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Not because keeping his commandments made us know him. But because we do know him and we want to keep his commandments. The grace of God is magnified by the doctrine of justification by faith. He's done everything necessary and we are recipients of what he has done by trusting him. The last stanza of Paul Anka's song goes like this. For what is a man... What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels, the record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Brothers and sisters, you know how many people are going to be singing that song when they walk through the gates of heaven? Zero, right? Nobody. Nobody's waltzing into heaven saying, Look what I did. I did it my way. No. Because the only people who are going to make it to heaven are the people whom God justifies by His grace through faith. 
And as you're trusting Christ, you're believing what God says, you're glorying, reveling, being, having your mind blown that God would love you and give up his son for you. Our song on that day will not be, I did it my way. It'll be grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that was greater than all my sin. That's how the people of God live in this world. And it is how we will enter into the world to come on that day. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We're, we are amazed that you would love us. That you would give up your son for us. That, that you would justify us because of what your son has done. Help us to believe. Strengthen our faith. Lord, grant faith to people this morning who do not know what it is to be reconciled to you through Jesus Christ. Hear our prayer. Answer us, we ask, for Christ's sake. Amen.